All right, well, let's go to God's word. If you want to take out your sermon note sheet, you'll find that inside your bulletin. We are in week number five of six in a series that we're calling From the Beginning. And what we're doing is we're learning about God's design for sexuality. I want to just say a personal thank you. Didn't Pastor Will do a great job last week? So thankful to have Will and Emily back in the area and, and for him to be able to use his gift in this season of his life in this pulpit. Just you, you understand when you're a guest speaker and you come and speak in this series, that's a hard thing to do. But he just did a wonderful job, and so we're so thankful for, to have them back with our church family. Well, two weeks ago, the title of my message was A Biblical View of Homosexuality. And what we did is we studied what the Bible has to, had to say about it from cover to cover. And if you missed that, you can go to our website, ctownhope.com. You can go to our Facebook. We also have a YouTube page. You could get caught up on that message if you'd like to do that. I've entitled today's message, A Biblical View of Sexuality and Gender. Now, I, I know I can't get any more controversial than this, right? I mean, it, that we just kind of move through one thing after another. But I want to just say a few things at the outset this morning as we begin. I, I want you to understand my purpose today is not to complain about the condition of our society. That's not really my agenda this morning, although we're going to talk about society. Nor is my purpose to pick a political fight. Although I, I realize just talking about this issue will probably bring a political fight to my door. My purpose also is not to denigrate or come against people who don't hold a biblical view on this issue. I realize there are people that don't hold a biblical view on this issue. And I realize we're not going to get along when it comes to understanding this issue on the same page. Rather, my purpose this morning in this sermon is to help give you a biblical understanding when it comes to this subject. It's also to offer hope to those of you that may be struggling with gender and sexuality. And can I just say, if that's you, I want you to know right off the top, you are welcome at this church. We want you to know we value you and we love you and we are absolutely glad that you are here. My final purpose this morning is really I feel like we need to bring clarity on this issue. It's the reason for the whole series because I find that a lot of Christians, a lot of parents, a lot of young people don't know what to believe about this issue and are confused about it. So we need to bring some clarity to this. As a culture, we have rapidly moved from the acceptance of two genders to multiple gender combinations. To understand this conversation, there are some definitions that have shifted in meaning and some new ones that have come along that you need to be aware of if you're going to be able to properly understand what we're talking about. So let's start with a definition that we're all familiar with. Sex is, now I'm not talking about the act of sex, I'm talking about sex. Sex is the biological makeup or composition of a person as male or female. Now, I've highlighted those words as male or female because those, definition, that those words are being dropped from most modern definitions. You're not going to find that phrasing anymore. Now, that brings us to the word gender. Now, the meaning of gender in sex used to be synonymous with one another. If you're talking about one, you're talking about the other. Listen, that's no longer the case in our modern society. Our culture is now defining gender as this. The characteristics of men, women, men, girls, and boys that are socially constructed. That's a definition right from the World Health Organization. So understand currently what's being pushed in our world is that gender is fluid, that it is changeable, that it's nothing more than a product of social constructs and not biology. Now that definition leads to a new term called gender identity. And according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, I just Googled this, you can Google, find the same de definition. Here's what they define gender identity as a person's internal sense of being male, female, 
some combination of male and female, or neither male nor female. Now, you won't find that definition in your grandma's dictionary. But you will find it in today's dictionary. Once again, what's being taught is that your gender identity can be anything you want it to be or feel it to be. And at last count, there is said to be 72 different type of gender identities that a person can have according to our modern society. According to medical news today, and I, I quote, gender is different than sex. Although genetic factors typically define a person's sex, gender refers to how they identify inside. Only the person themselves can determine what their gender is, end quote. This is what's being taught and pushed and promoted heavily in our culture, that feelings, not biology, not science, determines a person's gender. And you see this being pushed everywhere. I mean, you could just turn on your TV, and I don't know if you've noticed, but if you watch any of the programming now, there's usually a character in the show that identifies as trans or bisexual or, or one of those things. Even in kids' shows, there are characters being developed that don't identify as either male nor female. Even the toy makers are getting into this. I remember, I remember the controversy where for years it was Mr. Potato Head, but what happened? They changed it to just Potato Head. In many of our public schools, educators are now being trained and required and encouraged to lead students to explore their gender identity without parental consent. In Scotland, right now, listen to this, children can change their gender and name at four years old without parental consent. In our own country, in Oregon, 15-year-olds can now medically transition without their parents' approval. What I want you to understand, there is a huge LGBT agenda being pushed in our world at a very rapid pace. And so understand, it's a very different world that we live in now than even 10 years ago. The next term that you need to be familiar with is gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is defined as this, a mismatch between the gender that matches their biological sex and the gender that they feel themselves to be. That's the medical definition for that type of feeling or condition. Now that leads to the last term, and the last term you need to be familiar with is transgender. And it's really an umbrella term. It's an umbrella term for the state or condition of identifying or expressing gender identity that does not match a person's genetic sex. So what that means is that that could mean a person dressing according to a gender different from their biological gender. It may involve someone having hormonal treatment to seek to bring their body into alignment with something different than their biological sex may be. It could mean undergoing surgical treatment to alter their bodies. It, it could also mean that term, someone who doesn't identify by one gender or another, which is often called gender fluid or non-binary or agender. So understand, things have changed in the world we live in in a very short period of time. And here's the question. Is this all true? Are there more than two genders? Is sex and gender two different things? Is gender just a product of social constructs? Can somebody really change their gender? Is there such a thing as gender dysphoria? And ultimately, is God okay with a person living a transgender lifestyle? Those are the questions that we need to ask. I want to help you understand what the Bible has to say about this issue. What does the Bible have to say about sex, about gender, and gender identity? Now, to do that, I want to help you get down a few things. Number one, I want to help you understand a biblical understanding of creation. Number two, I want to help you with a biblical understanding of the gospel. And finally, I want to talk to you about a biblical understanding 
of gender dysphoria. So that's going to kind of serve as our outline this morning. Let's start where we have started every message in this series from the beginning. So let's start with a biblical understanding of creation. In the beginning, we're told this, Genesis 1 verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. So right off the bat, we are told that God created only two genders, male and female. And let's put the Bible aside for just a moment. Do you understand science backs that up? I want you to think about this scientifically. What makes a person biologically male or female? Well, three things. Number one, external sexual anatomy. Think about this for a second. Females have breasts and a vulva. Males have a penis and a scrotum. Number two, there are internal reproductive organs. Females have ovaries and a uterus. Males have testicles. Finally, there is an endocrine system that produces sex formation. And males and females biologically have different hormonal systems. Females' bodies produce higher levels of estrogen that help with the formation of the female body. And males' bodies produce higher levels of testosterone that actually help form the the male body. That's where the facial hair comes from and the muscle mass. All this to say this, sex is not a result of social constructs, but of physical biology. You have to actually deny science to come up with any other conclusion that there are only two genders. Can I say this in love, with compassion, but anything else is a lie. Science echoes what we're told in the Bible at creation. God created them male and female in his own image, which means that there are aspects of God's image reflected in the female gender, and there are aspects of God's image reflected in the male gender, and together male and female reflect God. Jesus affirmed this in the New Testament. We talked about this in the series already in week one, but look at it once again. Matthew chapter 19, verse four. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them what? Male and female. This all means that our sexuality and gender is not based on how we feel about it. God has intentionally designed our body and our identity that we might demonstrate his will for our good and his glory. Do you understand the devil wants to confuse and destroy a human being's identity? That's what he's out to do. Why does he work to destroy a human being's identity? So they won't understand who they really are. So they won't fulfill God's created purposes for their life. So they won't understand who they have been created to be. And when that happens, inevitably, that leads a person to not understand who God really is. This is why I said in the beginning of this series, you have to understand sexuality is an identity issue to its core. That's why the devil messes with it so much. This is why sexual sin is so very destructive in a person's life. It's why sexual abuse is so very destructive. Some of you know that story, that's your story. It messes with a person's identity like nothing else. And sexual sin will do the same thing. Why? Because it's an identity issue. It brings chaos and confusion within a person and in their relationship with God. And can I tell you, God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. It's an identity issue. 
That's why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6, and we've read this passage almost every week in this series so far, but this time I want to read it from the message paraphrase version. Paul says this, there is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. Why? In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. For these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with one another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Why? Because as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God has paid such a high price for, talking about what he did for Jesus for you. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Otherwise, it matters what you do in your body. It matters in your spiritual walk. That's why sexual sin is so destructive in a person's life because it confuses their identity and it, what it will eventually do is it messes with their ability to not only have a healthy relationship with themselves, but also to have a healthy relationship with God that brings glory to him. Now back to Genesis. Verse 27, once again, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then it says God blessed them. He's talking about blessing marriage. That's the idea there. So he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Do you understand a part of the purpose of creating them male and female was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Christian parents, listen to me for just a second. Our world increasingly sees children as an inconvenience or just an, an option. That is not a biblical mindset. Listen, one of the greatest gifts that you can give God is a baby. And one of the greatest gifts that you can give society is a child that's raised to love and serve God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and in spirit, you are his. And what does he want? What's the purpose of this? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. You say, well, what about people that can't have babies? And sometimes that happens even as Christian couples and God has closed the womb for one reason or another. You could still be a spiritual parent to many people. Be the best aunt you could be. Be the best, best, best church member that you can be. You could still be used as a spiritual parent. I say all this to say this. Creation tells us there is a divine design and order and function to sex and gender. And the rest of the Bible echoes that blueprint. That's why you find prohibitions about, hey, don't handle this thing outside of the marriage between one man and one woman, because when you do, it's going to cause chaos. It's, it's not proper, and it doesn't glorify God. Let me just show you one particular scripture verse. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. It says a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Now, the idea isn't here that you're wearing clothes that looks like a boy if you're a girl. Or the idea is you're wearing clothes to solicit a response from the same biological sex that you are. That's the point of that passage. Now, I'm not going to take the time this morning to walk through all the other scriptures because they're the very same scriptures we looked at when it came to homosexuality. What I want you to understand is there is a domino effect happening in our society right now that explains to you how we've gotten to where we are and why it keeps progressing to absurd levels. Think about this. How do you get to the point of saying there are now 72 different gender combinations. And I promise you, I read through the entire list this week. Trust me, it's absurd. Google it. I mean, you start to read, you go, well, maybe. And then you go, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. Here's how. Let me put a graphic up. Long ago, we said as a society, we don't want to do this God's way. 
And then we started to accept some things and say, we're going to do this our way. And so it used to be, hey, God says don't have sex outside of marriage. And then people said, that's acceptable. And then the next domino fell. And then we moved to, well, homosexuality is acceptable. And then we moved to now this transgender thing. And now it's progressed to agender. It keeps progressing down the line. And the question is, what's next? I'll tell you what I think's next, polygamy. We're constantly lowering the age of, of things when it comes to children. And what's amazing to me is this is all being coined under women's rights. Women's rights are being taken away. You've got people like Leah Thompson swimming, who's a biological man competing against biological women, and, she's, and he's dominating. I don't, listen, I don't have a problem if, 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 Leah wants to be a woman and compete, but she needs to be in the male division because she's a biological male. You're taking scholarships and things away from women. It's abuse. Why is our society allowing this to happen? Because of what the domino effect means going back the other way. So follow me for a second. Go to the next one. If we say nope to this, it starts the domino back the other way. And there are people that love their sin too much and don't want to believe it and want to live the way they want to live. This is why people all the way back that aren't homosexual, that are unsex outside of marriage, won't, won't go after this because the domino flows back the other way. Why is this thing continuing for the same reason that people rejected Jesus? John 3, 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So what I want you to understand is society won't go back the other way until the pain and consequences of the sin get so great in the society. So understand throughout history, you have this domino going back and forth. I mean, what we're dealing with in our society, this is nothing new. This has been going on for thousands of years. It's been swinging one way or another. A society says, we don't want God. And God says, that's fine. You want to do it your way. It leads them down the tubes. It finally gets painful enough. And that's how you end up with revival. So let me sum this up. God's design for men and women is equal and different, intended, not interchangeable. That's a biblical understanding of creation. Listen, if you don't have a biblical understanding, if you don't, we're just not going to agree. I'm giving you a biblical understanding of creation. Now let's move to a biblical understanding of the gospel. Many people think the gospel is, goes like this. Well, Jesus died for my sins, so through faith in him, I can go to heaven when I die. And that is certainly true. That is a part of the gospel, but it's not the gospel in its totality. It's more than just, I get to go to heaven when I die. To help you better understand the totality of what the gospel is, I want to share with you four acts of the biblical drama. How the Bible unfolds this for us, for us to understand. This is what the Bible teaches us. Let's go to act one. Act one we call creation. And that's how God created the world to be. So God created a world perfect without sin, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And it was working in perfect harmony the way God designed it according to his original created purposes until we get to act 2. Genesis chapter 3, let's call act 2 the fall. This tells us how the world became broken. And I think we all know the story. The devil tempted Adam and Eve, and they sinned. And when sin entered the world, you understand it broke everything. Literally, it broke all of creation, including the planet that we live in. Listen, this is why our planet no longer works the way it, it originally was supposed to work. I mean, secular scientists will say, well, there's always been volcanoes and earthquakes. And no, it's not always been that way. Sin literally broke our planet. And I know this isn't going to be very popular, but a part of what's going on is more than global warming, this planet is dying because it's been tainted by the curse of sin. 
Don't worry, it's not going to totally die. It's still here when Jesus comes back, amen. Not only did sin break all of creation, listen, it broke man's relationship with God. It broke man's relationship with one another. This is why it's so hard for us to get along. We're all tainted by sin. And it ultimately broke man's relationship with himself, even with his own body. Look at what we're told before sin entered the world. Genesis 2, 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no what? Shame. Why is that? Why was there no shame being naked? Because there was no sin. Everything was in perfect harmony the way God designed it to be, including them being in harmony with their own bodies. That was no longer the case after sin entered the world. That's why we're told in Genesis 3, verse 7, right after they sinned, look at this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. You see that? So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, What's it? look what his response is. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So do you notice that sin not only caused a disconnect with God, but it also caused a, a disconnect with how Adam and Eve even feel about their own bodies and who they are. The brokenness that sin brought is what, listen, it's what causes all of us to try and deal with the shame of our brokenness in ways that never really get us back in alignment with God. Mankind has been trying this since the beginning of creation. That's what Adam and Eve tried to do. Look, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves to get right with God their own way. And that's when God shows up. And when God shows up and he begins to talk to them, he says, look, life is going to be really hard from now on because sin brought brokenness into this creation. But he doesn't leave them without a promise because what he goes on to do is he says, I'm going to fix this problem through the, through the seed of the woman. And if you remember Genesis 3 verse 15, God looks at the devil who is just giddy because he thought he's ruined God's creation. And God says, let me tell you something, the seed of the woman, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. It's the first prophetic reference to God's plan of Jesus Christ that you will find in the Bible. Then down in verse 21, we get a preview of how God was going to fix it through Jesus. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It says, the Lord God made, watch this, garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Say, what's the big deal? Well, God covered them with garments of skin. Say, I don't get it. We're talking about animal skin. That means an innocent animal had to die to cover the shame that sin had caused. Some of you, the light bulb's going on. Something innocent had to die in their place in order for them to have relationship with God. That's a preview of what God would do through Jesus for us to redeem us from our sin. Now, that leads us to act number three in the biblical drama, and that's redemption. God's plan to redeem us through Jesus. This is why Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Let me tell you what that means. You had no shot when you were born to live a righteous life. You were born sinful from go. Let me help you better understand this. Adam was driving the bus when it went over the hill and you were on the back of the bus. If you have kids, you know this. How many say, my kids sin naturally? They came out of the womb like that. Womb like that. You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's what God redeemed us with. Now, this is where the gospel drama stops for so many people. Hey, for God so loved the world, I'm going to heaven when I die. And that's true, and that's awesome, and that's something we should celebrate, but that's not the end of the gospel drama. Act four is restoration. God's plan to bring complete restoration to his original creative purposes. Listen, God loves you so much that he died for your sins, and he loves you too much to leave you in your sins. 
to leave you in your brokenness. And so the Christian life is this. The Holy Spirit goes to work in your life to help lead you towards alignment with God's original purposes for your life that brings glory to him. Not just with your sexuality, but with all areas of life. You know this as a Christian. How many of you can say, I come to church and I feel conviction about lots of things? Because the Holy Spirit is always trying to align you with God's original created purpose that brings him glory. That means your words. That means your actions. That means your attitudes, everything, even your sexuality. We call it sanctification. Sanctification is the process of God working to make you more and more and more like Jesus, more and more aligned with his original created purposes for you. What makes this so hard is our sinful flesh that is still tainted by the curse of sin. It still fights against us. So when we come to know Jesus, our spirit man is redeemed. We are alive spiritually on the inside, but that alive new spirit is housed in a body that's still tainted by sin. And so we feel that tension in this life. That's why Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. Do you understand your sinful flesh? It doesn't care what God, about God. It just wants to do what it wants to do. And the Spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. This is why you have to learn, once you become a Christian, to allow God to renew your mind. This is why you have to learn his word and his ways so that your mind can be renewed because your body follows your mind. We talked about that a few months ago when we were working through the spiritual armor as we worked through Ephesians. But remember what Romans 12 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, everything that God did through Jesus for you to watch this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now watch this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Let me ask you a question. When has the world ever been right about sexuality? Are you kidding me? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you know why so many people are confused about life? It's because they don't want to do it God's way. The moment you start to understand, I'm going to do it God's way, everything clears up real quick because there's just one path. And God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. Here's what I want you to understand. God's plan one day is to give you a new body free from the curse of sin. How many are looking forward to that? That will happen when Jesus comes back again. And get this, not only will you get a new body one day that that has no more trouble aligning with God's original creative purpose for you, but God is going to restore all of creation to be free from the curse of sin. So what's going to happen, God is going to create a new heaven and new earth for your new body to live in with him for all eternity, no more curse. It's restoration. That explains to you why Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Listen, he says, I consider that our present sufferings, I mean the misery of problems and brokenness in this world is what he's saying, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation awaits waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Talking about Physical creation can't wait for God's plan of salvation to be complete for the creation was subject to frustration, talking about the curse of sin, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be, watch this, one day liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Talking about complete restoration. You understand this planet in this world is not going to just keep going on and on and on and on and forever broken like this. God has a plan to put it to end to an end once and for all. How many are thankful for that? I say all this to say this. God's plan with Jesus in your life is not to just save you from the penalty of sin, which is eternal damnation. His plan is also to move you step by step with the Holy Spirit's help into more and more and more alignment with his original creative purposes for you. One day that process will be complete when you see Jesus face to face and you get your new body. Listen, restoration to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning before sin broke it all. Here's why this is so important. Never is God's plan for us to embrace our brokenness in any area of life. 
Not just your sexuality, but any area of your life. You know, sometimes I run into Christians that embrace uh, sexual brokenness as normal and they say it's God's will. And listen, when that happens, one of two things is true when I run into that. Either they are immature in their faith and ignorant of the word of God or they're not really saved at all. Ultimately, God knows the truth. What I do know is this. They don't understand the Bible. They don't understand the gospel and there's no way they know God the way they should because there's chaos in brokenness. Listen, if, if you are here today and you wrestle with your sexuality, I want you to know that there is hope in Jesus. And the good news about Jesus is, aren't you glad you don't have to go clean yourself up first and then Jesus says, then I'll take you. No, Jesus says, I'll take you mess and everything. He says, I'll take you just the way you are. But what he then goes to do is because he loves you too much to leave you in your brokenness, he, he goes to work to bring restoration in all areas of your life to God's original created purposes for your life, including the area of your sexuality. So if you're here today and you wrestle with any of these issues, can I tell you, it's really no different from people that struggle with heterosexual sin. We're all, in fact, I would say that we said, talked about this in one week, in week one, we are all sexually broken to some degree or another because of sin. So you're not different than the rest of us, although you may wrestle with different sexual issues. Listen, the gospel process is the same for anyone, not to find your identity in your brokenness, but to find your identity in Christ in every area of your life. What I want you to understand about the LGBT movement is this. It has become a very powerful social movement. It has become a very big political movement. And I'm going to shock you with this. It's become a religious movement. It's a religion. We even have a whole month now where it gets worshipped and celebrated. You understand that? It even has its own gospel message. And what is that gospel message? Anybody know? Love wins. As long as you have love, you're good. Do you understand you can have love in an ungodly way? Not all love is the same. There is a love that honors God and a love that doesn't honor God. It says in the Old Testament that King Solomon loved many foreign wives. That doesn't mean it was right. This, uh, you can have a spouse leave their marriage because they fell in love with another person. That doesn't make that a right thing. Listen, the gospel of the LBGT movement is a works-based gospel that is really no gospel at all. The gospel work of the Holy Spirit is to lead you to restoration, not to celebrate and keep you in your brokenness. Are you still with me? The last thing I want to share with you is this. I want to share with you a biblical understanding of gender dysphoria. Let me go back to that definition that I gave you earlier. Gender dysphoria is a mismatch between the gender that matches their biological sex and the gender that they feel themselves to be. And the question is, is that a real thing, Pastor? Of course it is. If you're here today and that's you, can I tell you, we believe you 100%. That's a very real issue for some people. And here's what I want you to understand. Gender dysphoria is not a moral issue. It's a physical issue. Having gender dysphoria doesn't mean you're the opposite sex. Having gender dysphoria is not a sin. Acting on gender dysphoria is a sin. Just like temptation. Your temptations are not a sin, but acting on the temptation is a sin. It's it's same. Now, let me give you three reasons for gender dysphoria in our culture. And I think you'll kind of get this as we go. Number one, the fall. Sometimes I see people argue this and they go, I don't believe anybody's born that way. Why not? You're born sinful from go. It's very possible for people to be born with gender dysphoria. Very possible. Why? Because there's lots of people born with defects and, and bipolar and all kinds of things. Why? That's a product of the brokenness. So it's very possible that you could have been born with some of these things. Here's reason number two, and this comes out of my own personal dealing with people over 22 years. There, there's another reason for gender and dysphoria that has nothing to do with, well, it has to do with the fall, but in a different way, trauma and abuse. I've seen this more than you can imagine. 
So what I mean by that is some people are sexually abused and confused by that. It's a very real painful thing. And then there's trauma. They've been through something in life. A lot of times you see when, when there's dysfunctional families or mothers and fathers that are not there. A lot of times you see people trying to look for that love and affirmation in other ways in the same gender because they didn't get it from their mom and dad growing up. Say, Pastor, you tell me the truth. I've counseled it for 22 years. I see it all the time, more than you could ever imagine. Why? Because trauma and abuse messes with a person's identity. And it's easy to get lost as you're trying to navigate growing up with sinful flesh in a sinful world. How many can say it was confusing growing up? Listen, young people, we've all been through that. We understand so sometimes gender dysphoria comes from trauma and abuse. Here's the big one. Sometimes, and this is where I think this is why I need to address this with you. Gender dysphoria is coming from cultural influence. The Travistock Center in London, England, listen to these statistics. In 2009, they treated 51, 34 males, 17 female, females, children and teens for gender dysphoria, or who were identifying as trans. Now listen, watch how these statistics go up. In 2016, they treated 1,766 children and teens. And in 2019, they treated 2,364 children and teens. Do you understand that's more than a 5,000% increase in 10 years? And, and one of the things that you might want to notice is that the female numbers are rising much higher than the male numbers. Lisa Litterman of Brown University, a professor, out of her research has coined a, a new phrase called rapid onset gender dysphoria. And she did a survey among kids who all of a sudden were dealing with gender identity out of the blue. Okay, and understand this survey has since been suppressed by the LGBT community. Here's what was true about the kids that she surveyed in her study. Few of the children showed any signs of gender dysphoria to their parents growing up. Their new identity seemed to appear out of the blue. Many, if not all, of their friends at school were trans, and their coming out often followed their friends coming out as trans. Many of them became more popular after they came out as trans. They engaged in heavy online and social media activity, more than usual, surrounding their coming out. Many of them had other mental concerns that were being dealt with. So long story short, 63% of the kids surveyed by Dr. Litterman had one or more diagnoses of a psychiatric disorder or neurodevelopment disability preceding the onset of rapid gender dysphoria. So here's what she came to the conclusion of. The diagnosis is followed the following. 48% had experienced a traumatic or stressful event prior to the onset of their gender dysphoria. 45% were engaging in non-suicidal self-injury prior to dysphoria. 15% had been diagnosed with ADHD. 12% had been diagnosed with OCD. 12% were on the autism spectrum somewhere. 7% had an eating disorder. 7% were bipolar. You say, well, what is the point in you sharing all this, Pastor? I say that to say this. Our society is confusing kids and grooming them into gender dysphoria. Can I tell you, some of your kids are just, it's popular. This is the new popular thing to be. It's the new rebellion. It's the new popular. And kids that are getting bullied are instantly saying this and becoming popular. And the pressure is let off from where they used to live. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? I'm a pastor of a large church. I see it constantly. And there is a crisis happening when it comes to our girls. Our girls are very easily confusing love with friendship right now. You mark my words, you'll remember when I said this, in 10 to 20 years, you're going to have a, a crisis, an epidemic on your hand of women who are struggling on levels because they were so confused and it led to some things in their life. Do you, do you, do you know right now that it, the statistics tell us that 80% of people that come out as trans don't actually live that way down the road? For a lot of teens, it's a phase. It's, what, it's what's popular. 
there are support groups popping up all over the world for people who went down this road and said that was a lie. And those groups are being suppressed by this movement because I'm telling you, it's a religion. Let me give you some advice to you parents as we'll close and we'll be done. What do I say to my kids? I, I realize some of you are in different places with your kids. Some of you um, are knee deep in this with teenage kids and I, I, I know that's not easy. You're battling all kinds of things. But here's what I would say to parents. Number one, be informed. Okay, you need to understand this issue. You need to read up on it from a godly perspective. And can I say this? You need to know what your children are being taught. You need to also know what your children are looking at online. Parents, you ready for this? It is not a God-given right to have private, online privacy as a child. You need to know what they're looking at. You don't give them, allow them to have any accounts that they want. You know what the rule in my house is? Once we gave them a, a, a technology, that there is no account that you don't have that I don't know the password to and I can't go into at any time. And if I find that you are hiding one from me, you will lose those privileges. It is my job to protect my kids and know what they're looking at. Because here's what I know, children are easily influenced. You need to be the parent in that area. Listen, you need to know who your kids' friends are. I'm not saying that you don't love people. I'm just telling you, you gotta be careful who some of your kids' friends are because I'm telling you, it's a big deal. There are times growing up for our kids that I said, hey, we like that person, we're gonna love them, but you're not going over there. You're just not. You need to be informed. Here's number two, you need to be involved. You need to be involved in your kids' lives. You need to be building a relationship with them and loving them. And it's not enough just to love them. I think a lot of us think if we just love them, everything will be great. Do you understand how you spell love? T-I-M-E. You need to nurture time with them in order to have the doors of opportunity to speak in their life. A lot of us want to go and say, son or daughter, sit down. And we've spent no time nurturing a relationship and we wonder why the door's not open and they're so closed. You need to be involved. You need to be the one teaching them about this stuff. You say, when do I start talking to them about these issues when they go to school? And I'm not saying you give every detail of the birds and the bees and every gory detail, but there's a progression to how much you unfold. But from a very early age, you gotta say, this is God's design and the world's not doing this right and it's not honoring God. You need to start when they're five and six. I've had people tell me in this, in this series, this is too much for my 13 year old. How foolish can you be? Are you so naive? The world is discipling them in this area every single day. And you don't want them to hear this series? Are you kidding me? You need to be proactive in having these talks with your kids. Be in charge. And I'd say this, you love your kids no matter what. And there's a time when they become an adult and you, they may not be living the way you want, but you know what you do, you love them no matter what. Do you understand you can love somebody without agreeing, without celebrating their lifestyle? I can still love you. I've talked, shared my story about me and my father. My father lives an openly gay lifestyle. I've come to learn to love him and his gay partner. I don't agree with his lifestyle, but I will still love them in the name of Jesus. Amen? Don't confuse the two things. I realize some of you are like, man, I got teenagers that I'm dealing with and I know that's a little bit harder of a scenario at this point, but here's what I want all you parents to know. You are the parent, be the parent. Listen, here's what I, you say, what, what do I tell my kids? I love them, but I tell them, and I guide them, but I tell them when you're 18, if that's the way you want to live and that's what you want to be called, then we'll do that when you're 18. But right now, you're in my house, and for as my, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have to be the parent. You don't give them a choice. Once they're 18, that's up to them. I'm gonna give you some resources real quick. This is called The Talk, Seven Lessons to Introducing Your Child to Biblical Sexuality. I almost bought one for everyone in this church, but they're like 15 bucks a piece and we're trying to build a church building. 
And I realize if you're really serious about it, you'll make the investment with your dollar. You can go on Amazon and buy this great book. It starts talk to talking to them, they're age appropriate. Now don't just buy this book and give it to your kids. You need to read it first, okay? And you need to work through it with them from an early age and start teaching them as they're growing up. Because let me tell you, the world has no problem teaching them. Great resource. Some other resources that I had for this message. I've been reading a lot of stuff leading up to this message. Uh, two books, God and the Transgender Debate by Andrew T. Walker. The other one, this one, uh, this one's a really cool book, uh, Embodied it's called. And if you deal with anybody with gender dysphoria or uh, you have family or friends, really great compassionate look at, for people who really deal with that, uh, that are not just culturally influenced. And so I encourage you, pick up these books. They'll be excellent, excellent reading. Let me give you a few other resources you might know on your sermon note sheet. Uh, I gave you two resources, YouTube videos. Hey, this morning's sermon, a lot of my outline, maybe about half of my outline came from John Lindell from James River Church. Liza's like, hey, that's where Liza went to Bible college. He was like, she preached this. I listened to it like, oh my gosh, half of my outline came from there. But I'd love for you to go listen to what he had to say because you're going to find some things that I didn't say and you're going to find things in my message he didn't say. Make sense? And then there's another link on there by Mark Driscoll that you can go. They're just YouTube links. I encourage you, educate yourself on this issue. But this is a big, big, big issue. And if you don't teach your kids and you don't stand for truth in your home, the world is going to teach your kids for you. Amen? Last thing I want to say this. If you're dealing with sexuality that is not God's ideal in any way, I want to say it again. You are welcome at this church. We love you and we will do with you what we do with everybody that walks in here. We will lead you to find your identity in Christ and we will be patient with you and we will love you. And we will watch what God does. Do you guys understand this is the most imperfect, perfect church you've ever met in your life? We are full of broken people that come here all the time and what God does is he brings restoration over time as they find their identity in Christ. So if you're dealing with that, you are in the right place. There is testimony after testimony after testimony in this place when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to divorce, when it comes to all kinds of things in this church. People that have been in your shoes, you're in the right place. Amen? All right. You survived the hardest part of this series. Next week, we're going to talk about, how, I got friends and family, and how do I deal with grace and love them, and how do I deal with the truth? We're going to talk about dealing with that tension next week as we end this series. But you've made it past the hardest part. We'll do that next week. Listen, if you need prayer this morning, our prayer partners will be up here ready to pray over you about any area in your life. As you leave this morning, Pastor Molly is going to give each family Skittles with a prayer card in it. So every family should get one. Pray over VBS this week. We want to plant seeds in kids' lives. We want to see lives changed. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We will see you next week if you need prayer. Come on up.